You're listening to the Mediatrix Wellness Podcast, a show for women wanting to take charge of their healing, health, and fertility. I'm Clara Bailey, a naturopath, herbalist, and natural fertility educator based in Australia. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing with you what I've learned professionally and personally about aligning life to the ebbs and flows of the menstrual cycle, establishing a strong knowledge base to manage your health and fertility independently. If you'd like to learn more, I create cycle awareness resources for my newsletter community, which you can subscribe to over at clarabailey.com. Now let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to this week's episode, natural treatment for hypothyroidism and naturopaths simple and easy tips. Hypothyroidism, specifically Hashimoto's thyroiditis, is increasingly becoming a common health challenge that I have seen more and more in my naturopathic practice. Hashimoto's thyroiditis is diagnosed five to ten times more often in people with uteruses, those with female reproductive systems. There are many theorized reasons for this, And as you'll see, as we explore the risk factors and causes, it's clear why modern lifestyles are triggering this autoimmune condition. So in this episode, I am going to explore what occurs in the body with Hashimoto's thyroiditis, a checklist of common signs and symptoms, including a self-screening quiz. Uh, You may like to go into the actual blog post, which is in the show notes, um, if you would like to revisit this, but I will talk you through it. How to get a precise diagnosis, what the potential root causes are, and natural treatment for hypothyroidism, what you can do with your diet and lifestyle to support your body in reversing this condition. Because spoiler alert, if it is Hashimoto's thyroiditis, it is reversible. So what occurs in the body with Hashimoto's thyroiditis? So hypothyroidism is the umbrella term given to people whose thyroid gland is either number one, producing insufficient amounts of active thyroid hormone, or two, when the body is not efficiently using that thyroid hormone. Thyroid hormones are responsible for coordinating your body's basal metabolic rate and your ability to regulate your internal temperature, which is your body's thermostat, in a thermostat. And when your thyroid hormones start taking themselves offline, many symptoms arise, many of which can progress slowly. So the three main types of hypothyroidism is, number one, and by far the most common, is Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which we'll be exploring in depth here just because it is the most common type of hypothyroidism. And a lot of folks who have been given the diagnosis of hypothyroidism, depending on their doctor and depending on you know whether their doctor is sort of up to date with the recent research around this, uh, they may just come away with a diagnosis for hypothyroidism. But it's very important whenever you're doing a, a clinical workup that you get a set of certain um, markers, biomarkers tested, because more often than not, it does come from this Hashimoto's. Uh, It's just an immune system response to the thyroid. 
And so in Hashimoto's, it involves the immune system thinking that your thyroid gland is an invading organism and does what immune systems do, creating antibodies that destroy the tissues in the thyroid gland. The thyroid reduces in size and its ability to produce thyroid hormone is compromised. There's, the second type is post-therapeutic hypothyroidism. This type comes from either surgical removal of the thyroid or a medical intervention to treat hyperthyroidism, which is the opposite of hypo. Both treatments can cause the thyroid to be unable to produce enough thyroid hormones to sustain normal bodily functions. Uh, and the third type is goitrous hypothyroidism, and this type comes from nutrient deficiencies, uh, specifically iodine, which results in a goiter in the neck. And this is the more common, well, this is very common in um, the third world where getting these trace minerals, uh, iodine is a trace mineral that um, is a lot harder to get in the diet. So let's take a look at the symptoms of hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And I apologize if I'm sounding a little bit breathless on, the, on this podcast. I am recording this when I am currently 37 weeks pregnant and I have a baby um, pushing up against my lungs. So my apologies for that. So these common symptoms of hypothyroidism are, they can be a constellation. You may uh, tick a few of these boxes, um, but maybe some of them don't apply. So heavy menstrual bleeding, menstrual spotting uh, throughout the cycle, painful periods, increased risk of miscarriage. So if you have had a history of miscarriages, uh, it is always, you know, most doctors who work in reproductive healthcare will do a thyroid pretty um, quick smart but if that hasn't been explored for you please absolutely make sure you get that checked out uh, low mood and depression fatigue fatigue is actually often the most telltale sign of hypothyroidism foggy brain weight gain and or difficulty losing weight constipation dry hair and skin hair loss or high cholesterol readings and the thing about Hashimoto's thyroiditis is that it's really the canary in the coal mine. I really see the thyroid gland as uh, it, it really is the first to go when hormones are off kilter. Um, and with as with all health conditions, you may be genetically predisposed to Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And if any blood relatives have thyroid issues and or autoimmune conditions, it's more likely that you're genetically susceptible. That's not a given, but um, you're, there's a statistically a higher chance that you are. But the thing is, even if you have that genetic predisposition, it is triggered in our internal and external environments that determines whether you develop this condition. So the tr key triggers for hypothyroidism are Chronic stress and adrenal exhaustion, essentially doing too much for too long without enough downtime. I have written tons about this on my blog and here on the podcast. Uh, so in the show notes, the show notes, there will be a bunch of links. 
um, including two really exciting freebies. One is a holistic stress quiz called Are You Burning Out or Burning Bright? And it is a really simple one to two minute quiz that you can do that will um, rank you depending on what your stress adaptation type is at the moment. And then you will get a series of um, really helpful uh, resources to help you you know, do some simple shifts and changes specific to where you are on that stress spectrum. And the second is a webinar called Healing After a Season of Stress. And in this, uh, it's about 40 minutes and I just take you through some um, really good foundational strategies for uh, what you can do with your food and some herbs and lifestyle shifts that can really make sure that your ship is heading in the right direction towards en energy and replenishment rather than further down the spiral of uh, fatigue and depletion. And there is just such a profound connection between the thyroid gland and the adrenals and the adrenal glands are the hormone glands involved in stress. So if you know that stress is a factor for you, I really encourage you to make this a priority and gather some of these really nourishing resources around you uh, so you have some guidance on how to begin. Other triggers, untreated trauma, exposure to toxins, most notably heavy metals. So that's including mercury, lead and cadmium and pesticides. Uh, hence this canary in the coal mine, the, the thyroid gland is very sensitive to these, um, to these environmental chemicals. Uh, Long-term lack of iodine in the diet, frequent dieting or calorie restriction, poor gut health and imbalances in the microbiome, low in critical nutrients that both protect the thyroid gland and are essential for producing thyroid hormones, these include, um, in addition to th uh, iodine, is selenium tyrosine, which actually isn't a nutrient specifically. It's an amino acid. So a, um, an amino acid is a basic protein unit that comes from protein-rich foods. Iron, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin E, and vitamins B2, B3, B6, and vitamin C. So you can see that... Um, I mean, I may just be, to you, reeling off a bunch of um, vitamins and minerals, but these are just really basic core building blocks in our diet. And often a question that I get asked is, why does hypothyroidism cause anemia? And it, it doesn't. Uh, iron is essential for forming uh, thyroid hormones. So if there is anemia as well, it basically means that there is a shortage of the biological spare parts required for the recipe of making thyroid hormone. So there will be often a, you know, within the Hashimoto's sphere, an immune system reaction going on, but then that can be compounded by a nutrient insufficiency. So that's why making sure the body has access to all these building blocks really, you know, is uh, just the most common sense thing to do in terms of your self-care. High fluoride exposure. So both fluoride and iodine are in the same elemental family, the halides. If you're a bit of a chemistry geek or if you can recall doing chemistry class in um, high school, if you look at a periodic table, how all the different uh, metals, 
um, and elements are organized, uh, they're in the same vertical family. So it means that uh, chemically they have really similar properties. And so these halides in the body, uh, they compete for absorption. So if um, fluoride is really important for uh, strong enamel for the teeth and for strong bones, uh, but water supply is often heavily fluoridized, fluoridated and if that is not being balanced out by sufficient iodine in the diet then that can cause an imbalance and <laughs> at least in eastern australia we have a renowned um, depletion of iodine in our soils and if you're not somebody who really enjoys eating seaweed um, then it is a very you know it's a very very common deficiency Another key trigger is infections, especially chronic viral infections, the most famous being Epstein-Barr virus, also known as glandular fever or mononucleosis, uh, and cytomegalovirus, or untreated celiac disease or gluten sensitivity. So getting an accurate diagnosis is absolutely key before beginning natural treatment for hypothyroidism. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, yes, okay, I'm ticking a lot of boxes here, it's definitely worthwhile getting investigations done. Here in Australia, um, and I know it's very similar in the UK and the US, I'm not so sure about other parts in the world, but typically only one marker of thyroid function is tested in initial assessments. And so if you have you know, been to the doctor and you know that you know, that they tested for your thyroid function and they've said to you, look, it's fine. Um, I, don't, I would not see this as the end of the conversation because that marker that is typically tested um, is, it's called TSH, which stands for thyroid stimulating hormone. And as the name suggests, this hormone communicates with the tissues in the thyroid gland to tell them to either produce more or less thyroid hormone. And a way that I often describe this in my practice with my clients is that there is a center in your brain called the hypothalamus, and for the sake of this metaphor, that is like the CEO. And it tells the head of the thyroid department uh, what needs to be happening. And depending on what the TSH is, uh, determines the instruction in the instructions it's going to be giving the frontline workers. Uh, so the, which are the thyroid hormones, which are called T4 and T3. T3 is the active hormone that actually gets out there on this front line and gets the work done, doing its, you know, all the important thyroid jobs, managing metabolism and temperature, among other things. And when only TSH is tested, this only gives us one side of the story. When it comes to an understanding of the whole thyroid story, seeing how all these different areas communicate with one another, there you need to be able to get a thyroid panel. And this will give us five sides to the story. So a thyroid panel will typically include a, uh, T4, T3, reverse T3, thyroid autoantibodies. This is the component that will let you know whether this is a hat. This falls under the category of Hashimoto's and essential nutrients required for optimal thyroid function, including vitamin D, iodine, and iron. 
It's unlikely unless you are seeing a holistically minded doctor or you're getting these labs done through a naturopath or a naturopathic doctor. Um, it's very common for those to be missed out. And I have had experiences in practice where uh, when a nutritional deficiency was corrected, uh, it really hugely changed the other results when we tested them six months later. So I really encourage you to advocate for your health. Uh, there's a bunch of resources at the um, in this blog post, links to up-to-date uh, scientific research so printing those out even just you know the abstracts and taking them to the doctor's office and saying I've been doing my own research I've like seen that the medical literature is citing that these nutrients are important and can often you know is very important for a clear diagnosis and you know it's their duty of care to take that on board so to get this level of insight like I said you need a thyroid panel not just a standalone tsh plus these specific nutrients if you're unable to find a holistic practitioner to work with like i said informing yourself and then opening up a discussion with your doctor is the best way to get these labs done i've also written another post on the subtleties of testing for hormones and why it can be quite tricky to get an accurate read from blood tests or urine tests alone um, so there is a link to that in the blog and I'll add it to the show notes as well. Apart from going to a practitioner and um, getting lab work done, there are also two really simple, really effective DIY, what I call preliminary investigations you can do. So while getting this lab work done will give you the most precise insight into your thyroid's function, there are these two other investigative tools that you can do yourself. So please, please, please note that these do not constitute a diagnosis. What they will do is they'll give you data and clues to rule this in or out as a potential um, hypothyroid diagnosis. So the first is basal body temperature. If you follow my work, you'll know that I'm a fertility awareness educator and I'm a huge advocate that charting provides a tremendous amount of insight into your overall hormone health. So by taking your waking temperature every morning, um, which is, I've got a link of how to do this the mo most accurately, you need a basal body thermometer, which is slightly different to a regular thermometer. It just is a bit more sensitive. And then what we do is we look at with interest at the readings, your basal body temperature readings um, before ovulation occurs. So if your waking temperature is between 36.4 and 37.1, um, which is in Celsius, which in Fahrenheit is 97.5 to 98.8, this is a sign of normal thyroid function. If your readings are lower than 36.4, centigrade or 97.5 Fahrenheit consistently this may indicate low thyroid function and this is a modified version of the Barnes test um, what I will say though is that there is a bit of speculation out there to the accuracy of this um, it's unclear whether the Barnes test was actually done on um, auxiliary so armpit uh, basal body temperature readings or whether it was or oral 
from my experience, um, by looking at many, many charts um, now, that I, whenever I do see these temperatures low, and it's accompanied by other signs of low thyroid function, um, then that is when I make the suggestion to get it uh, checked out. But as a standalone thing, uh, you, you don't want to count on it as a standalone. But we're looking for three consecutive um, or three of these low temperatures before ovulation occurs. And the second is a hyperthyroid screening questionnaire. So this is a screening questionnaire that I use in my clinical practice uh, from one of my professional associations, the Institute of Functional Medicine. So I, you may like to just get out a little notebook and to put a, do a tick if any of what I'm about to say applies to you. Um, or if you really are a visual learner, then just hop on into the blog post and it's all uh, listed out there. So the first thing is hypothyroid risk factors. So my family, parent, sibling or child has a history of thyroid disease. I've had a diagnosed thyroid problem such as hyperthyroidism, Graves disease, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, postpartum thyroiditis, goiter thyroid nodules a member of my family or I have currently or in the past been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease I've had radiation treatment to my head neck chest or tonsil area I grew up or live or work near a nuclear plant people with uteruses uh, this one's for you I have a history of infertility or miscarriage and then we're moving on to the signs and symptoms. So I'm gaining weight for no clear reason or cannot lose weight with a diet or exercise program. My basal body temperature is low, below 36.4 or degrees centigrade or 97.5 Fahrenheit when I take it in the first half of my cycle. My hands and feet are cold to touch and I frequently feel cold when others do not. I feel fatigued or exhausted more often than normal. I have a slow pulse or low blood pressure. I've been told I have high cholesterol. My hair is rough, coarse, dry, breaking, brittle or falling out. My skin is rough, coarse, dry, scaly, itchy and thick. My nails have been dry and brittle and break more easily. My eyebrows appear to be thinning, particularly the outer portion. My voice has become hoarse or gravelly. I have pains, aches, stiffness or tingling in my joints, muscles, hands or feet. I have carpal tunnel syndrome, tendinitis or plantar fasciae. Aciolitis, I always have trouble saying that one, but that's basically um, pain on in the arch of your foot. I am constipated, which is defined as less than one bowel movement daily. I feel depressed, restless, moody, and sad. I have difficulty concentrating or remembering things. I have a low sex drive. My eyes feel gritty, dry or light sensitive. My neck or throat feels full with pressure or larger than usual 
and or I have difficulty swallowing. I have puffiness and swelling around the eyes, eyelids, face, feet, hands or feet. And for those who with cycles, I have an irregular menstrual cycle, uh, either longer or heavier or more frequent. So if you have ticked uh, three or more of the above statements, then I would say thyroid investigations are well indicated. So let's get into what you can do. Natural treatment for hypothyroidism. Whenever many diet and lifestyle factors contribute to a health condition, it means that there are many measures you can take to help bring your body back into alignment and allow the function to be restored. These are factors that are within our control. So strategy number one is addressing stress. This is the most important place to begin when it comes to the natural treatment for hypothyroidism. Like I said, the adrenal glands produce all the hormones associated with stress, and the adrenals and thyroid are in very close communication with one another. If the adrenals are continually shouting commands or have slumped into exhaustion, the thyroid will respond accordingly. So make simple steps of getting on top of stress, and this is going to be very different for everyone, but here are a couple of ideas. So start resetting your circadian rhythm by having a 15-minute bedtime routine or morning routine. Start journaling or meditating uh, as a habit, even if it's just a couple of minutes a day. That is you know, better than nothing, and just getting into that routine means you can build on it. Both of these things allow you to have these what we call adrenal reset points that allows your body to basically uh, settle and rest. It's like a touchstone for the nervous system. Getting 30 minutes of exercise a day, working with a therapist if you have ongoing or repetitive behaviors that keep cropping up and are causing you stress, or uh, taking calming herbs that support your nervous system, adrenals and thyroid. So a couple of my favorites for this are withania, milky oats, tulsi, reishi. Uh, they all are beautiful for hypothyroidism. So if you would like to read more about any of those, uh, I have articles on my blog. And if chronic stress is a feature for you in your life, you know this big time, then I really encourage you to take a look at my 21-day holistic stress healing program, the Peace Protocol. Uh, it is designed to help you concentrate on building a restorative cocoon and really resetting uh, the way you do your self-care. So strategy number two is work out what your food triggers are and heal your gut. So if you do have a confirmed Hashimoto's thyroiditis diagnosis, then your number one place to begin is to eliminate gluten. Uh, gluten and stress are right up there with the key triggers. Um, and if those both remain, it will be very difficult to get ahead of it. So there have been multiple studies done into the connection between gluten and thyroid autoimmunity. And from my clinical experience, I will be so bold to say that you will not be able to reverse 
Hashimoto's if you keep gluten in your diet. I know it's not the funnest thing to hear at all, um, but it is just a reality of the condition. It's also essential to take really good care of your general gut health. If your body is being triggered by foods and causing interstitial hyperpermeability, which is just the clinical term of, um, not interstitial, my apologies, intestinal, <laughs> intestinal hyperpermeability, which is uh, just a clinical way of saying leaky gut um, and microbiome damage, the autoimmune circuit will be perpetuated. The best place to begin is by doing an elimination diet guided by a practitioner to uncover your unique triggers. These are going to be different from person to person. If you would like a little bit of an idea as to what this could look like, I do have an article, a blog on following a gut healing protocol um, and just giving you a sort of high level overview as to what that looks like. In, it's additionally essential to avoid excess goitrogenic foods, which again is one of these fancy words that if you've been doing some thyroid research, you've probably come across. Uh, it simply means foods that suppress thyroid function. These include raw broccoli, uh, raw cabbage, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, kale, and spinach. Cooked is totally okay. I feel like I have had many a conversation in my practice where um, folks missed that essential piece. It's only when it's raw that it's an issue um, because the heat of cooking disables those goitrogenic factors. Uh, excess soy consumption. So I like to just, you know, not all soy is bad. It's really easy with these sorts of guidelines that... Um, uh, they're sort of taken as black and white, but a nice you know amount I see is like three serves a week of traditional soy-based foods. So that's things like um, tofu, tempeh, soy milk made with whole organic non-GMO soybeans. Uh, we're not talking about soy isolates or Franken-soy products. Uh, also cassava and millet. Strategy number three is to increase your intake of anti-inflammatory foods. So simple foods can contain a potent array of anti-inflammatory compounds that protect your thyroid from the damaging effects of excess inflammation. So especially therapeutic foods for this are um, all your sort of purpley deep red fruits, including cherries, berries, and pomegranates and any blue or purple colored foods. I know this may seem like a bit of a random <laughs> piece of advice, but the science behind it is really cool. Um, the group of flavonoids that make these fruits and vegetables look pink, purple, or blue are called anthracyanins. Uh, it's just the, you know, it just has to do with the light waves in which they reflect off light. But the anthracyanins have a really anti, you know, they're very strongly antioxidant and anti-inflammatory. Tomatoes, uh, as long as you're not intolerant to nightshades, turmeric and ginger, licorice, and of course our healthy oils, such as hemp seed oil, extra virgin olive oil, high quality fish oil, flaxseed or chia seed oils are all awesome choices. Strategy number four is circling back to the concept of your thyroid building blocks, nutritional thyroid building blocks. So aside from the healing foods that I've mentioned so far, 
there is a considerable amount that can be done with nutrients and forms a cornerstone of natural treatment for hypothyroidism. So your body's ability to produce thyroid hormones is dependent on several key nutrients. It's important to work with a practitioner to understand if iron or iodine deficiency is at play for you, as these are not nutrients that you want to take without first knowing what your status is. If you are you know, if everything is okay, then just taking a nice daily maintenance dose is what is appropriate. But if you are very deficient, or in some cases, folks, especially with iron, they might have an inherited genetic um, uh, expression of how their body handles iron, in, and they actually have high levels of iron, um, which is called hemochromatosis. So it's really important that just because supplements are natural doesn't mean that you can't throw off important balances within your body. Um, so I would really suggest getting those two checked out. Um, you can by all means take a maintenance daily sort of dietary dose, but if you do have hypothyroidism and you do really get the gut feeling, um, pardon the pun that this could be at play for you then it's definitely worth the investment uh, to learn what your statuses are so otherwise uh, making sure you're taking a really good quality multivitamin or thyroid specific complex that contains vitamin d vitamin c zinc selenium vitamin a and then vitamins b2 b3 b6 in the blog, I give you really uh, specific dosages for those of how to basically tell if a multivitamin or one of these thyroid nutrient complexes is of good quality and it's giving you enough of a, a dose to make a difference. Um, but I'm not going to read them out to you here on the podcast version as that will be very dull for you. Um, and if you would like to know uh, what I really like for this, I really like just Thorne Research's two-a-day multivitamin. Um, they do have a thyroid-specific one, uh, but I really do love, you know, especially if stress and other factors are at play, it's a really beautiful quality, um, broad-spectrum multivitamin. And all the vitamins are and minerals are in really nicely absorbable forms uh, and gentle on the belly. So... The final question, can Hashimoto's thyroiditis be reversed? So depending on how high your levels of thyroid autoantibodies are and where the status of your other thyroid hormones are will determine the likelihood of being able to restore thyroid function and therefore resolve these symptoms naturally. Uh, but I have seen it over and over again, especially when... Um, you know, you find out really what your unique root causes are, what your unique triggers are, and you commit to doing the healing work. And I, it is with hope that these guidelines will steer you in the right direction. So thank you so much for joining me here. I know it was a very chunky episode. Um, there's lots of links uh, to uh, resources and references for you to be able to geek out on in the blog post. And if you would like to take advantage of either of those freebies, the holistic stress quiz or the healing after a season of stress webinars, uh, make sure you get yourself into those. 
Thank you so much for listening along to today's show. If you'd like to learn more about me, the resources I create, and the work I do as a naturopath, herbalist, and fertility awareness educator, head over to clarabailey.com or you can find me over at Instagram at clarabailey double underscore. I hope you have a glorious day.